what if they could scientifically sort of dissect a human being and figure out what actually makes us tick? Like, what, what makes us flourish? What, what makes us healthy? What makes us happy? Well, well they, they actually they tried to do this, not, not by dissection, but by study. And back in 1938, roughly 80 years ago, um, the Harvard School of Adult Development, the Harvard Study of Adult Development, they embarked on one of the longest studies ever done. It's been going on for the past 79 years and they've been interviewing as many of these men are still alive. 724 started in the study. Around 19 of them are still alive. But, but now they're starting to interview even their kids and their grandkids. And they would send out an annual survey. And they would ask a number of questions trying to figure out if they were happy, if they were healthy. And, and they would ask things about their workplace. They would ask about their home life. They would ask a, a number of different questions. They'd even go to interview some of these men in their homes. And what they found out was that there was one variable, one factor that contributed most strongly to happiness and to health. And the thing that stood above all else, so if you were to cut inside of us and be able to figure out what is it that makes a human being tick, what, makes, what is it that makes a human being flourish, there would be one thing for all of us in this room that would be a foundation for, for flourishing. And, and this is what they found. What they found was that it had nothing to do with wealth because they had a wide variety of socioeconomic statuses involved in this study. It had nothing to do with fame or power. It had nothing to do with work or how hard somebody worked. The number one thing they found that determined flourishing for human beings was good relationships. Here, here's how the director of this study framed it. Uh, Robert Waldinger, who's the fourth director, because when your study lasts 80 years, you need a few of them, a few directors, said this. He said, taking care of your body is important, but tending to relationships is a form of self-care self too. That, I think, he said, is the revelation of this study. Good relationships, he said, keep us happier and keep us healthier, period, period. Now, as someone who believes in the validity of the scriptures, and if, if you're here this morning and you believe in the validity of the scriptures, then you'll, you'll recognize that. If, if, you, if you don't, I just want you to know you're welcome here. But what we want to point out in, in this sermon is that, man, the Bible has been saying what that study proved for years, for years. Listen to the way that just in this first book of the Bible, second chapter in the Bible, so we're talking page two, here's what it says. It says, and then the Lord God said, it is not good, say it with me, church, two, those two words, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, just some background here. After the first chapter, this is a surprise, because in chapter one of Genesis, God says five times, it is good. He creates, it's good. He creates, it's good. He creates, it's good. Day six, he steps back from his creation, high fives himself and goes, I'm really good. It's very good. Chapter 2, we see it's not good, and nothing has changed. Sin has not entered the picture. Brokenness has not, has not consumed God's creation or impacted God's creation. Nothing's changed. See, God looks at the world that he's created and goes, listen, we're just, we're missing something. And when he says it's not good, he's not just talking about marriage as the context directly applies to, but, but he's talking about relationships. He's talking about friendships. He's talking about what 
the Harvard study of adult development has found out, surveying 724 people over the course of almost 80 years, that it's not good. And if, if you've experienced seasons of loneliness, and maybe you're in one right now, or seasons where it felt like there was nobody that you could call in order to share what was going on in your life. Or maybe you lost somebody who was really, really close to you. They were that person for you. You would raise your hand, or if you were up here on this platform, you go, absolutely. It is not good. It, it, is, it hurts on a soul level to get to the point where we feel like we're alone or we're abandoned. They, they did a poll in 1985, and they asked people in the United States, all around the United States, um, how many people do you feel like you have to call if something were to go wrong or to, just to share your, your heart? Somebody you could tell anything to. In 1985, people typically answered around three. People had three people that they could call and say anything to. They did a similar study recently, and what they found was that that number has dropped from three people to two people. And you go, well, Paulson, that's not all that much. Th 32 years, we've lost one person. We've lost a third of the people that we can actually call. And what they're finding out is that even in an age of social media and hyper-connection, we as a human species feel more disconnected than we ever have. Than we ever have. With all of the things we have to aid connection, we feel more disconnected than we ever have. And if that's you this morning, if you're going, yeah, I, I, I resonate with that, or I agree with that, or that's something that I really feel like I need to drill a little bit deeper into and figure out what's going on there. This morning is for you. If you feel like you're, you're lonely, this morning is for you. But here's what I want to do. Will you look up at me for just a second? So much of the time when we talk about relationships, it's easy to identify, I don't have people in my life that I can talk to, and to blame it on everybody else. So as lovingly as I can, can I propose to you that you are the only common denominator in all of your relationships? Whether they're flourishing or whether they're failing, okay? Now, I say that to you in love, and I want to follow that up by saying to you, there's hope. It's way too easy. It's way too easy to just get into the pattern where it's everybody else's fault. So let me just throw it out there. Maybe it's your fault, and that's okay, and that's okay. And there is something that you and we together can do about it this morning because, like I said, the Bible has been talking about the importance of relationships for millennia. I mean, it's been saying that this is something that causes human flourishing from the dawn of creation. And so as we embark on this study in the book of Proverbs, we shouldn't be surprised that when God talks about wisdom and when Solomon writes about wisdom, he talks about friendship. Because it takes wisdom to know how to navigate relationships. If you've ever been in a relationship or a marriage, you know it takes wisdom to know how to navigate relationships. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. It does. It does. And it's really easy to get into a pattern where we start to experience death instead of life. And the book of Proverbs is going to warn us, encourage us, and edify us to choose a different path. Now remember, Proverbs are short, pithy statements about the way that the world generally works. They're principles. They're not promises, right? How many of you guys, you say that now in your sleep, okay? Or when I start to say it, you're with me? Wonderful. You're going to see some things today. They're principles. They're not promises. And, uh, but they're going to help align us with the way God's wired the world to work. 
And friendship is one of the things. Relationships are one of the things that we need to know. God, how have you designed this thing to work? Because part of our human flourishing depends on it. So here are a few tidbits from the book of Proverbs that might be helpful. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Wouldn't it be great to have a coffee mug with that on it, right? And if breakfast goes a little bit wrong with your spouse or one of your roommates, you just go over, you get that coffee mug, pour a cup of coffee, sit back down, say nothing except Proverbs 21:19, baby, right? Just saying, if any of you have a tattoo of it, just cover it up. It's a safe place, but that's a dangerous decision. Yeah, no. So you're going, hey, hey, it's difficult to live with somebody who's constantly wanting to fight. Here, here's another piece of friendship wisdom, relationship wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So some of the things we're going to talk about today, um, you're just going to want to temper with, yeah, you have to have wisdom in the when and the how and the how much, really, is what he's saying. There's too much, such thing as too much of a good thing. You might be that good thing, okay? You might be that good thing. It's for free. It's for free. Proverbs 27, verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Anybody want to say amen to that? This is a 1045 service. The 945 was like, we don't get that. You guys get it. You guys get it. I'm proud of you. Yeah. So what's, what's Solomon saying? He's saying, listen, the content of what you say matters, but the timing of what you say matters too. This is, this is the better part of wisdom. If you call somebody early in the morning, even if you tell them something really good, they're not going to like you. You're not going to be friends too, too long. So you may have wanted to make a note of that. Okay, there you go. And Proverbs 27, 17, one of, I would consider to be one of the most popular verses in all of the Proverbs. Here's what it says, and probably the most prolific passage on friendship in the entire Bible. It says this, iron sharpens iron. And one man or one person sharpens another. See, because we can identify, or Harvard's study of adult development can identify that human flourishing happens because of human relationships. But Solomon's going to take it a step further. He's going to say it's not just any type of relationship that causes human flourishing. That There's a type of relationship where, where it's, it's iron on iron. It's two people who care about each other coming in contact with each other. And what Solomon says is that type of interaction changes us. That type of interaction, that type of interaction shapes, shapes us. That type of interaction causes us to, to grow and to become different types of people. And here's how we'd summarize it today. It's that relational devotion is designed to inspire personal development. You know this, you know this. You know the type of people who you go out to a meal with them, you sit around a table, and you walk away from it going, man, I'm, I'm encouraged, or I'm challenged, or I, I feel like they, they know me. Or maybe, maybe, it's even just a quick text conversation you have with somebody who you know cares about you, you know loves you, you're walking through a difficult season and, and they get back to you and they say, I'm, I'm with you, I'm praying for you. It's that relational devotion that, that strengthens us, that, 
encourages us, that builds us up, that that's part of the way God's wired the universe, Solomon's saying, is that we grow as we connect with each other, that none of us are designed to be an island. And so part of the power in gathering together as a community of faith is these relationships, they, they start to happen and they start to take place. I love the way that the author Ruth Haley Barton puts it. She says this. She says, spiritual friendship, which is what we're talking about today, is a relationship devoted to paying attention to the invitations of God in our lives and supporting one another and making a faithful response. Hey, let, me, let me read that again, and I just wanted to soak in a little bit. Spiritual friendship, she says, is a relationship devoted to paying attention to the invitations of God. So God, where are you in my life? Where, where are you in this person's life who I'm, who I'm walking with? And supporting one another and making a faithful response. That's what it means to be in relationship with people, um, with people of faith where we go, listen, I want to I fight for your good. I want to see you flourish. I want to be that iron on iron type of a person for you and in your life. I want to see you grow. See, true friendship is about mutual formation. It's not just about fun. It's not just enjoyment. It's walking together in life and being formed, mutually being formed in more and more into the image of God, which means that there are times when friendship is painful, when it, when it stings a little bit. And there's times when it's providential. There's times when God uses a word from a friend. Have you ever experienced this? God uses a word from a friend to just sort of get you beyond that place that you're, you're stuck. That friend just sort of gives you the proverbial push in the right direction. See, our lives, look up at me for just a moment, guys. Our lives are either, are either enhanced or diminished by the people that are in our closest circle of friends. It's the number one factor, number one factor that determines the vitality with which we walk through life. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage specifically, and I want to explore some other passages in Proverbs too that give us some instruction on what does it look like to have genuine friendships that do this for each other. They pay attention to the invitations of God and support each other in making a faithful response. And here's the thing. If you're going, hey, Paulson, I wanted some meat today. I wanted some theology um, what I want to say, I just want to push back gently and encourage you that this may be one of the messages we all most need to hear because it's so practical. My, my hope is you walk out of this with an encouragement, number one, and a challenge to say, there's some things I'm going to do differently because of what I've seen in the scriptures. Here's the way this happens. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 again. Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Did you know that Iron very rarely comes into contact with iron accidentally. That may be hard for you to believe. Um, but that it just doesn't happen on accident. And not only that, it doesn't happen at the right angle and at the right rhythm and at the right, with the right sort of force by accident. And neither do relationships. They, they take some pursuit. They take some intentionality. And so what uh, Proverbs chapter 27, 17 would say is, Listen, if, if we want to live this type of life, the type of life that flourishes because of 
relationships, then we've got to choose to make it a priority. And I understand we live in a very busy culture. We live in a very busy time. You always have things you could be doing with your time. And what Solomon would say to us is, this is such a priority. You're sharpening. Your, your vitality, your flourishing depends on it that we need to create space in our life to forge and form friendships. Because acquaintances happen by accident. You can, you can run into somebody and have a few things in common, and that's an acquaintance, and that happens by accident, but friendships happen only through intention, only through intentionality. Do you form the type of friendship that Solomon is talking about? And here's one of the challenges. Whoever, say with me, church, isolates, who, whoever sort of builds this wall around himself or herself, seeks his own desire. So what Solomon would say is, man, I, I get it, introvert and extrovert, and that, that's a real thing, and there's ways that people are wired and programmed, but if you choose to have zero contact with other people, he goes, he's going, that's, a, that's actually a selfish thing. You're seeking your own desire. He says, and not only that, but it leads to a place where this person who isolates breaks out against all sound judgment. They, they start getting so in their own head that they can't see the outside world for what it actually really is. And so there's times where we need people to speak into our life. So he's going, like, be intentional about breaking through the tendency that some of us have to be isolated. And so, like, maybe for you, it's, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, the phone call to that person who we've lost contact for a few months, and I just, I really need to follow up with them. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a simple phone call. Maybe it's, maybe it's an invite to somebody to come over for dinner, or maybe it's, you invite them yourself over to their house. I don't know. But What's the intentional step, though, where, that God would have you take in light of this? But it's not just presence. It's not just being in proximity with a person. It's actually being open to a person. Because we all know that we can be physically close and emotionally closed, yes? That we can be with somebody and not give them access to us, not give them access to our hearts, not give them access to our minds and what's really going on. And see, one of the biggest challenges we have is not that we live in a culture of isolation. It's not that we live in the rugged individualistic West. One of the biggest challenges we have as human beings is the same challenge that human beings have had since the dawn of creation. And it's the challenge of shame. It's the ability to say to somebody else, I'm going to let you know the full, real, true me and give you the ability to see the dirt the things that I wish I hadn't said, the things I wish I hadn't done, and I'm going to believe because of the relationship we have together that you're going to love me anyway. But most of us, we have this tape that plays, this narrative of shame that plays in the back of our minds that tells us this lie. If they know the real me, I'll be rejected. If they know the real me, they won't want anything to do with me. And so we hear express pursuit and we go, well, yeah, I'll, I'll make a phone call or yeah, I'll invite somebody over to dinner, but I'm not going to let them know the real me because I don't want them to hurt me. 
So when we say we're pursuing other people in a life-giving community that sharpens each other, it's not just being in proximity, it's being known, it's intentionality, and, and, and it's vulnerability. It's getting to the place with people who you trust, where because of what they know about you, they could hurt you if they chose to. Do you have people like that in your life who you've been that honest with, that raw with? See, Solomon would say our our vitality depends on it. The life that we long for is actually found in that place. So, do you have that type of sharpening relationship? Or maybe better said, do you want that kind of growth? And so maybe, just maybe, God would put his finger on some things in your life, the Spirit would put his finger on some things in your life this morning and say, listen, I'm inviting you to a different face of being you, open, vulnerable, honest. Um, person that isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and walks in judgment, meaning doesn't experience life fully. Proverbs goes on talking about friendship, relationships, and says this, better is one open to rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How many of you have been wounded by a friend before? Yeah, or someone said something to you that was true, that was honest, that was good, but you didn't love it, and it didn't feel good at the time. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's better to have friends that speak truth to you than it is to have enemies who tell you a good thing, to tell you a good thing. My wife, um, Kelly, she absolutely hates driving in the snow. And she, will, she would rather walk to work, which is five plus miles away, than drive in the snow, even if it's like a little bit. So here's what we learned about Kelly this last winter. She has a really good prayer life. Okay? And it was really dry this whole winter. You can thank her. She prayed away <laughs> all of those storms. And if you're a skier, you're going to want to talk to her and try to get her on your side because she's a powerful woman. But here's what I found out. Here's what I found out. That, yeah, we take, it takes friction for us to go. It takes friction for us to drive in a car. The only reason your car makes it down the road is because there's friction between the tire and the street. You take that away, and it's really hard to get anywhere. It takes friction to, grow, to go. It also takes friction to grow. Because what happens when iron hits iron is that there's a friction that happens between each piece of iron. And that sometimes isn't fun. But if we're going to be the type of people who thrive in relationships the way God's designed us to, we've not only got to express pursuit, say, I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to be vulnerable. We also have to be willing to embrace friction. We embrace friction. I was in my um, chronological read through the Bible this